Hey, girlfriend, it's time for Can We Just Talk About This? Where real talk meets real life in the world of fitness and health during perimenopause. I'm nutrition, strength, and hormone coach, Corey Jackson, and I'm chatting with my brilliant friend, coach and exercise physiologist, Dr. Mandy Cara. Whether you're in your 50s like me or your 30s like Mandy, we're here to navigate the ever-evolving journey of life, motherhood, and perimenopause together. So pull up a seat, get comfy, and let's talk about this. Hey there, girlfriend. In this episode of Can We Just Talk About This, Mandy and I discuss big rocks or the specific habits you need to prioritize in your daily life to maintain your health through the menopause transition. They are, in a nutshell, one, eating a healthy, balanced diet of mostly whole foods, two, strength training to protect muscle mass, maintain healthy metabolism, and build strong bones, three, adequate sleep, quantity and quality, and four, the biggest rock, managing stress. We talk about an hour in depth about these big rocks, and they aren't sexy or new. You already know about them. But it's likely you aren't focusing on them, and you may be looking for the next big health trend. See, it's human nature to look for quick fixes and more sensational, groundbreaking wellness techniques, especially when it feels like you already have all the big rocks addressed. But I want to urge you, when you feel the pull of the next biohacking shortcut craze, please return to the basics. Take a week or more to focus on your nutrition, your exercise, your sleep, and your stress. Journal about them. Observe. Record and reflect. After you've honestly assessed your habits If you still feel like you are doing everything you can in these areas and want more, might I suggest a better investment of your time, money, and effort will be to hire a professional to help you fill in the gaps instead of springing for the next gadget, supplement, or beauty treatment. All right, let's get to it. Hey, Mandy. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm great. It's good to see you. Good to see you. We decided we were going to talk today about big rocks. Yes, I'm excited to talk about big rocks, and I like the things that we have agreed on for big rocks. I love it that we were on the same page on putting the big things first. Mm -hmm. Have you talked about big rocks? And we've actually had this discussion on what big rocks really means. Yeah, but we should definitely talk about it again because this isn't river rocks. We're not talking about chunks of mountain or anything like that. We're talking about, it's an allusion to an old metaphor, a word picture of in priorities and important things. So a the way I heard the story is a professor or a high school teacher was sitting at the front of the room and he brought in a great big jar and he had a bunch of different sizes of rocks. He had big rocks, then he had little rocks, then he had pebbles, and then he had sand. 
And the idea for the object lesson was to have the students put in the rocks in the way to fit all of the rocks into the jar. And most of the students said, oh, teacher, that's impossible. We can't do that. There's too many rocks. And he showed them exactly how to do it by starting. You start by stacking the big rocks in first, and then the smaller ones fill in the holes, and then the pebbles fill in even smaller holes. And then finally, he poured the sand on top. And in fitness, we use that as a metaphor for the important priorities for your health. So there are things that we have a tendency to think this is going to be a big needle mover. It's going to change my life. Dry brushing is going to change my body. (laughs) (laughs) I got to tell you, I have fallen prey to all that stuff myself. It's real easy when you feel like every, I'm doing everything and nothing's working. I'm going to start dry brushing. It's going to unlock something for me. It's going to get rid of all of that unwanted inflammation and water retention. And then two weeks in, you're like, is this stuff really working? It just, it scratches. (laughs) It's just uncomfortable. Why isn't this changing my life yet? My life is all the same. My body is the same. Well, two Uh weeks may have something to do with it, but also the fact that dry brushing is probably a pebble, if not sand. And so I think that a lot of women fall into this mainly because I tend to think that I'm every woman and so mm-hmm. I'm experiencing it then someone else is too. Someone else is, you know that. <laughs> there are some priorities that are probably going to surprise you that these are mm-hmm. as big a deal as they actually are. And then there are some things that are minutia that are sand that you're probably going to think they should be a bigger deal. That's right. When I first started studying nutrition, I got so many questions along these lines. What do you think about microwaves, Corey? (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that it's destroying the nutrients in our food? What do you think about all of the funny things? Yeah, I I would agree. And keeping the main thing, the main thing is a big deal. Like remembering what the big rocks are and putting those big rocks in place. And I feel like as women... It's important for us to say, okay, this is a big rock. Go ahead and identify it and put it in our schedules, put it in our mind, pay attention to the things that are big things, and then go ahead and even identify, even if it's in your own brain, oh, that's actually not important. And being able to, I think, section that out in our own minds, I think is really helpful. Oh, totally. That's really the only way to do it. Women can be the most powerful health influencer that the world has ever seen because we influence so many lives. We have children and as they get older, we have their spouses or their significant others and all of their friends as well are definitely going to be picking up on the stuff that we are influencing into other people's lives. So as soon as we have these priorities in check, then we start living that out for all of these other people, not just our children, but our girlfriends, our spouses or significant others, all the people that we work with. And even if those are the ones that tease us the most, which (laughs) they do, they're still watching. So you just have to let that roll off your back like water off a duck. Mm -hmm. We have identified four major big rocks. And I think we want to start with We're going to wrap up with the biggest, highest priority rock because it touches all the others. 
First off, most people probably know this, it's not rocket science, but solid nutrition has to be one of your very first big rocks. Oh yeah. And I think that saying, just saying solid nutrition really has a a variety of contexts, right? There are so many people. And I think that when we think about nutrition overall, everybody who has, I say this a lot, everyone who has ever eaten thinks that they are a nutritionist. (laughs) I say a lot, do you know how often I brush my teeth? I brush my teeth a lot. I try for two times a day, most days, two times, at least once a day I can hit it. But I have never once said, let me look inside your mouth and and see what your teeth are like. I'm I'm not a dentist, but we see a lot of people who um, probably don't have the qualifications to speak on nutrition. So I think that it's nice between the two of us to be able to give a little bit of a roadmap of what's, what does solid nutrition look like when we say, let's manage nutrition? Yeah. Yeah. Where would you start? One of the first points I would make is that we've had a frame shift, so to speak. You could get away with occasionally a brownie or something that is a hyperpalatable, extra processed carbohydrate food. When you're in your 20s and your 30s, you could probably get away with it every day after a workout at that age. But it's shifted now. And and it, there is a price to pay for those things because our bodies just don't process them as well. There's lots of reasons for that. A lot of it is the changes that happen to the microbiome at this stage of life. There are some metabolic changes, although it is not the same as we used to think it was. In perimenopause, there are so many shifts hormonally with the way estrogen balances insulin and with estrogen so erratic, we're more insulin resistant. A ton of other things. I think the big things that we see in research, and I know the study that you're talking about, we have there's a, a study that's come out in the past few years mm-hmm. that tells us that um, metabolic changes over time. So it's this longitudinal study that looks at metabolic changes over time. And what we see is metabolic rate really doesn't change that much itself. Right. Right. And we're talking about there are several components of metabolism, but the one of the bigger components is just basal metabolic rate. Yeah. And that basal metabolic rate is something that actually doesn't change until very later in life. We're talking like 70s even. Mm -hmm. However, there are so many other factors that are going to influence metabolism. One is just hormones that you talked about, especially that decline in estrogen. The other thing is your own lean mass. Mm -hmm. And we know as we age, we tend to decrease in, in lean mass, especially over the age of 35. We start to see a decline in muscle mass, which is an important protector of metabolic rate. But also we see a lot of this decline in metabolic rate because we become, as we age, more sedentary as well. Yeah. And I think that's an important piece to think about too, because there are some things that you can start to blame. I can't really control what's happening with my hormonal cascade outside of replacement therapy, right? You right. can see um, some of that because estrogen is uh, considered an antioxidant. So it's considered a protective effect yeah. on the body. And then we can protect our lean mass through exercise, resistance training, regular exercise. And then that lifestyle piece, right? Being more active, just moving mm-hmm. more throughout the day. Scientists, we call this the, your neat, what yes. neat work to use your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So it's just anything that we do, blinking, moving, fidgeting throughout the day that actually keeps your protection metabolic rate, keeps your burn just a little bit higher. When I 
mentioned the things that you could get away with before, you know, that's, that has a lot to do with less complex carbohydrates or the more refined carbohydrates, your white flours, your sugars, things like that. Those need to be very far deprioritized. But what needs to be top of mind, especially for midlife women, is protein. We need to make sure that we're aiming for at least a gram of protein per pound of your ideal body weight. Um, and I say it like that because if you're living at your ideal body weight, even if it doesn't look the same as it did in high school, um, that is, that's the amount of protein that you should eat. However, for women that have experienced the midlife spread, <laughs> that, that have seen this kind of cascade beyond their control and they're 20, 30, 50 pounds above their ideal weight, that number gets a little harder to hit. And it's yes. not necessarily going to be detrimental to eat that much protein. It is just difficult. It becomes a full-time job unless you're supplementing with protein shakes or other things that are more packaged foods. And obviously real food is always going to be your best option. But at a yes. certain point, I love steak. I love salmon. I am a, I'm a meat eater. I'm willing to admit that, but I can eat only so much steak. <laughs> My jaw gets tired. I can't chew it enough. It just becomes a burden. It becomes a chore to eat that much. And then you start zapping food of one of its amazing benefits, which is joy. There are lots of facets of food and to try to take away that one enjoyment is going to make the rest of it just not work very well. So stick forth a gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight, right about in there, plus or minus five to 10 grams. Yeah, Didn't you I think, think that? Okay. No, I would totally agree with that. I think that, that fits really well for an active lifestyle. We see that 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight which we look at in overall dietary guidelines. And that is really on the very, very low end right. of the recommendation. If you're not hitting 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight, then you definitely need to to, to think about elevating it even yeah. more. Yeah. And I see that a lot in nutrition coaching clients that I have is that the protein seems to be the hardest thing to be able to consume. And a lot of it's because protein is it's a little bit, it's not readily available, right? You can't walk into a convenience store right. and, and grab an, a really easy, nice, palpable protein, right? right? You're going to see some beef sticks. You're going to see some protein shakes, but everything else is, it's just, it's not as ideal. So I feel like protein is a harder one to consume. Mm. So I think again, making it a priority and thinking about it every meal. I always tell people that every time you sit down to your meal, go, where's the protein? Oh, there's my protein. And I have a pretty decent serving of protein. We want to see in women about 20 grams in it per serving of protein to help again, maintain lean muscle mass, but it also is going to help you feel fuller longer. Mm -hmm. And protein has a very high thermic effect, which means it actually costs some calories to digest protein. So when we see people consuming meats and other lean sources of protein, we actually see a metabolic rate elevate just a little bit too. Over That's and above that, when they would just have a protein shake that just shoots through the system a little bit quicker. So that digestion is actually important. One caveat that I would say in protein consumption is that usually over the age of 40, 45, we see some changes in, in digestive enzymes specifically. 
Mm-hmm. So I would just caution if you're having a little bit of trouble with digestion, having smaller portions of that protein, and then maybe leaning more towards fish, chicken, turkeys that are slightly easier to digest than some of the, the red meats. So right. you may have to play around. You may have to add some digestive enzymes, which is another great recommendation is to add digestive enzymes with your meal just to help get that digestion rolling for you too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's at about, is it about 55 or 60 when hydrochloric acid production kind of slows down in the stomach? I think it's a little bit earlier Earlier. than that. Wow. I think it's, yeah, earlier than we had originally thought where you're starting to see some digestive problems even earlier, right about that perimenopause window, right? Lovely to also have (laughs) digestive issues. (laughs) The hits just keep coming. We're just good news. Bears of good news here. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So the second thing I would like to talk about is carbohydrate because for some reason carbs are confusing. (laughs) Yeah. What would you think is the ideal carbohydrate food for women in perimenopause to focus on if there is such a thing? I think that one of the things that everyone needs to focus on when it comes to carbohydrates is maintaining a really healthy intake of vegetables. And I think we tend to forget that vegetables are a carbohydrate. The recommendation is fruits and vegetables together. So let's just lump those guys together because fruits can be villainized as well. So nine to 11 servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Yeah. When we talk about that, that's about half cup servings. So nine to 11 half cup servings. I would challenge everyone on here to just track it for a day. Like just make a little, just make a little hash mark in your journal or right on your phone when you have a serving of fruits or vegetables and see how close you get. What we see in the typical American diet is even when people are focusing on it, they're getting about three servings. Yeah. Wow. And so I think it's really important to remember fruits and vegetables because they are a great source of carbohydrate. They're high fiber which is going to help in digestion as well. And that fiber is also going to keep you satiated for longer. So it's going to help you feel fuller. It's going to give you great natural energy. And then we have all of those protective effects from antioxidants, right? All the anti-aging benefits, all those things with fruits and vegetables. So that would be my first caveat there. And then I would move into some of those things that that are the carbohydrates that are more fibrous and that are going to stick with you longer. So the more complex, just like you mentioned, Corey, more mm-hmm. complex carbohydrates that are going to sit in the gut just a little longer and give keep us full and give us a better digestive outcome. That's exactly the way I would look at it too. Most of the day, I think that vegetables, even the greenest of the green vegetables are going to give you the carbohydrates that you need. Again, you might need some digestive enzyme help support because if you're not used to getting that much um, fiber in your diet, that will cause some gastrointestinal upset. So it's important to make sure that you add them slowly if you're starting from baseline of not enough, then um, go ahead and add it slow and then ramp up to that. Don't expect to get 11 servings in your first day. (laughs) I think you will be doubled over in a ball in the bathroom and that's... (laughs) <laughs> nobody's got time for that. That's no fun. Nobody's got time for that. True. <laughs> um, That's a great recommendation. Now, the other thing I would like to talk about as far as that goes is timing, because mm-hmm. as midlife women, we are more insulin resistant. There are better times during the day to eat 
a more complex carbohydrate, such as a whole grain or a sweet potato, or even um, white or red potatoes, golden potatoes, all those things are not off limits, but they do need to be at the right time of day so that they don't just get stored off as fat and um, cause a sugar spike. And that is right around your workouts. Yes, I'm with you on that. Yeah, so you take some in before your workout to power yourself with energy, but then afterwards, go ahead and have a, a good meal with that's balanced between at least 25 grams of protein and about 20, 25 grams of carbohydrate so that you can go ahead and start the rest, the restorative process of especially a strength training workout or something that you have really pushed your muscles with. You need to go ahead and get that carbohydrate in. And there has been some debate around the metabolic window, but I think that science is starting to show that women do have a short metabolic window. And that basically means that this, there is a small amount of time after your workout that is really going to make a big difference when you, to get the food in afterwards. And that's about it's about 45 to 60 minutes for women, whereas it can stretch about two hours for men. It really is important to go ahead and grab an apple and a string cheese or something like that for your post-workout meal right away. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And I think that there has become a lot of debate around the nutrient window. And you'll see a lot of people who say, I fast before exercise. I just feel better. or I can't eat before exercise. And what... Corey and I, I think, would agree that one of the best things that you can do, especially in kind of the, the midlife woman, is to remember that our ultimate goal in nutrition and exercise is really to protect your muscle mass because it's going to keep you active longer. It's going to um, keep you independent longer. And I always say muscle mass is precious. We protect it at all costs. And so when you fast before exercise and when you fast even after exercise and you lose that nutrient timing window, you're only going to put yourself at a greater risk to continue to lose and deplete lean mass. So when we can remember that food is fuel, that food helps build the body and that the absence of food does not equal the absence of fat or fat loss, I think we start to get into a better situation where we understand that food regulates hormones. Food keeps us in a positive nitrogen balance. It keeps us building lean mass. It's also going to fuel us to want to be more active even later because when you don't eat, you don't want to move throughout the day even because your body starts to slow down and decide that, hey, I've got to save everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I sure. love that recommendation that even if you're getting just a little bit, just grab yourself a snack post-workout you can have a meal too. And I should say 60% of your total carbohydrate intake, if you can keep that around two hours before, two hours after your workout around there, that's you're probably sitting in a good spot for yeah. healthy adaptation. That's good. I, I like the number behind that. It's interesting. The, the people that I talk to, there's some people that want everything quantified. They want to weigh and measure. They want to track everything. And then there are others that can just barely be bothered <laughs> because right. just one more number is going to push them over into stress overload. So they're the ones that I give visual estimations to, such as Great. the famous fist palm method, or just take a picture take a picture of what you're eating and send that to me because, you know, exactly. that does a couple of things. One, it helps, it gives you a source of accountability, but the main thing is it slows you down enough to think about what you're about to put in your mouth and to think, yeah. you, know, you think, even if you think, well, if, 
if I eat this, I'm going to have to report it and I don't want to report it. That keeps you honest. But even if it's not that, even if it's just slow down enough to put yourself in a better place to digest, slow your heart rate down a little bit, slow your breathing down, slow your roll, just slow down a little bit. If you are, if you have to take a picture of what you're eating before you eat it, then you're not going to be eating in traffic. (laughs) which is horrible for your digestion. (laughs) Um, Yes. Let's dive into that really quick because we're finishing up nutrition is I think it's important to talk about the environment in which you eat, how you eat, when you eat. So you want to touch on that really fast too? Oh yeah. You mentioned it driving in traffic. For sure. Now, this is something that I didn't really recognize as a big rock until about two years ago, um, because I am notorious for using that dashboard as a dining room table. (laughs) (laughs) It happens. You know, it's mom life too. This is just what we do. We're the last person to feed ourselves for the most part, right? We feed everybody else, everybody's out the door, and I've gotten everybody to daycare and gone, I have not fed myself today. Mm-hmm. That's true. But then, and, and who has a toddler that doesn't expect a snack as soon as they get strapped into the car seat? <laughs> it's just, it's like it rubs off on everyone. <laughs> but the environment in which you eat is super important because of the, it's not just hormones. It is mostly hormones, but we're not talking about sex hormones here. We're talking about hunger and satiety and the chemicals that your brain releases to control the whole cascade of hunger cues and satiety cues. And if you're eating in a way that is the American way to grab lunch and to rush to the next meeting, or even to have a brown bag lunch during a presentation, if you're not focused on it, if you're not in the moment, if you're on your phone the whole time you're eating, then um, that whole chemical cascade isn't really optimized. And it's Real easy for me as part of the rat race to think this isn't a big rock. This is more like a pebble. But I noticed last year I was in the middle of a health crisis about this time of the year where I was just, I was not digesting well at all. And I decided coaches need coaches. And I hired a nutrition coach that was uh, specific for, she worked specifically with athletes and with sports nutrition. And she also worked with women in my age bracket. And that was one of the first things that she touched on. And she's, you need to stop eating that breakfast sandwich, driving 80 miles an hour to get to the gym. That's, that is not working for you. And I realized you're right. This is a big deal. And so I changed that and I still am guilty of scrolling my phone while I eat, but I also, I'll scroll and I'll stop and go, man, that tastes good. Right at the least. <laughs> Try to stay mindful. And that's that was yeah. my, um, that's the point about uh, the uh, photo accountability with slowing you down enough just to get in the moment and get present. Because so, how many times have you eaten something and then five minutes later, you don't even remember what it tasted like because you're so distracted. And that's just, an, that's like a surface example of what is going on inside the body. And our mind's, influence everything else. Their brain is the control center, but it's real easy to interrupt any of those signals. You can change any of them. You can override them. You can override a hunger cue by suppressing it and deciding I am in a calorie deficit. I'm on a diet right now. I don't need to eat. Or I was 
bad last night and had a, a, a cookie after dinner, so I'm not going to eat today. Or you can override this, the satiety cue by saying, oh, but that cookie tastes so good. I want another. And your body will get the message um, after this repeated pattern. And that's how our hunger and satiety cues get thrown off. And that's how we end up crippled in our relationship with food. So it's really important to honor all of that by giving it time and giving it space. I would totally agree. I think that the mindful eating is the the vein that we're talking about. And that what we mean when we say that is just stopping taking a breath um, before you eat, thinking about what you're eating. And even if it's just the first few bites, really thinking, okay, what am I tasting? How do I feel? And then getting through your meal and stopping at about 80% full mm-hmm. is usually a good target. If you're thinking of things on a scale of one to 10, we want to think back to what's an eight. If 10 were, oh my gosh, I, I'm full. I'm so full and I can't move. We want to stop at eight. Now, 11 would be like, I have to go straight to sleep. I cannot take wear these pants anymore. Right. All in there, right? I, I need plastic. <laughs> Where's my spandex? But um, we want to think about 80%. Like I am, I feel satisfied and I feel full. And I don't think enough of us stop to check that right. box. Let's check in on how I feel right now. Am I full? No, I think I need a few more bites. Okay, let's have a little bit more. Instead of, I feel like most of us will see our food. Does this fit my plan? This food is good. This food is bad, which we want to stay away from that as right. well. Right. We want to say, what food is going to fuel me right now? This is it. Is this enough? No, I need a little bit more. Okay, now check back in. Now is this enough? Okay, I think this is enough and I'm full and we can be done now. So I think just slowing down, like Corey said, paying attention and um, having a little bit of relationship with your food can change everything. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Also in the nutrition rock, you ha- we can't fully give this rock the honor that it deserves if we don't talk about hydration. And yes. that's a super important piece of it. And there have been like there, this, even the science has even evolved around this. There used to be that we thought that caffeine dehydrated when it really doesn't necessarily, it, it can do some things. If all you're getting, if all of your water is tied to caffeine, if you're just drinking iced tea and soda and coffee during the day, then yeah, we probably need to work on that, but we don't, hydration isn't just straight water, but you do need to be aiming for baseline. Half of your body weight in ounces of water or a water type beverage. Now I say sodas, and I say that tongue in cheek. I really don't advocate for sodas. I think I have maybe one every two years, <laughs> but also juices and other sugar sweetened beverages. Those should be a special treat occasion thing, because it is, it's not bound to any fiber. It's going to rush through. It's going to cause a blood sugar peak and then a, a valley. And that's not any fun for anyone, especially those that are Nobody around wants that roller coaster. Right. Exactly. Mostly water. Yes. Try to avoid added sugars in your beverages completely. And then that's just baseline. And we talked about that with protein, that you have the recommended daily allowance that RDA is to keep you out of starvation, is to keep you out of deficiency 
diseases. If you're adding something onto your life, such as exercise, which we all need to be doing in this phase. And we're going to talk about that next. You need to be eating more than the RDA. And likewise, likewise, you need to be drinking more water, especially if you have a goal like fat loss, your body will not be able to burn that fat with just half your ounces, half your weight in ounces of water. You need to have, I I think aiming for about 70% of your body weight in ounces is a better target if your goals include fat burning. I think that's a great recommendation. I would totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And also electrolytes, huge women in this age group don't really, your, your thirst response is dampened. So you're immediately going to think, I don't, I'm not thirsty. I don't need to drink. So there's that. But then on top of that, you, if you do, you start forcing water and I've had a, I'm an old bodybuilder and Mandy's an old bodybuilder too. So we know about, yeah, we know about carrying around that jug of water. (laughs) So you have to make sure that you're drinking. You're also including electrolytes and electrolytes are salt, potassium, and magnesium. And you can get that in your food and in like a vitamin supplement, but it's going to be a lot easier to take that in with your water. So I add a packet of either liquid IV or element or LMNT to at least one start, one liter of water, which is a liter is about a quart. It's a, <laughs> for those that are still in Imperial like me, it's about a quart of water or 32 ounces. I'll add one packet a day, more than that some days, depending on what my diet looks like and what my exercise looks like. If I'm out exercising in 98 degrees, which you're never going to find that folks, I <laughs> I don't, <laughs> not outside, not in the heat. You're never going to find that. But if I were, <laughs> then I would be probably drinking two packets in a day and I would probably be pushing a gallon or more just because I know that my body needs to replenish that. When we go to Galveston in, in July, it's just super, super muggy there. Yeah, I'm pushing water like crazy because I know I'm just sweating it right out. That's how I'm smart. Yeah, yeah, for I sure. I use the Generation You Can Hydrate, Rehydrate is what it's called. It's G-E-N-Gen U, capital U, can. Okay. And I've really liked that as well. I used it during pregnancy, which is another time that you need extra electrolytes and it's carried over through the summertime, especially into just having something. It also adds a little flavor. Right. Right. So helps get that water down yeah, just a little bit more. For sure. One macronutrient that we missed is we haven't talked about fat and I think we could just hit it really yes, fast for sure. because I know that we're both excited to move on to the next, right. but I know that one thing that we haven't talked about is fat. That has a bad rap. I think in general, we've gotten better. I think at fat, Um, over the past 10 years with the rise of keto, right? Everybody wants to put butter in their coffee and (laughs) bacon and do all of those things, which is fine in in some situations. But we want to remember that eating fat doesn't burn fat and not eating fat doesn't burn fat. It's always, everything has to do with total caloric balance. So if you're looking for weight loss, avoiding major macronutrients is not the answer. Yes. Yes. So Fats for us, especially in the aging woman, right? Fat is a backbone to all of our hormones. It also, with the presence of fat, we can absorb and uptake vitamins better. So the fat soluble vitamins. So it's important to remember that we want to keep fat um, in the diet, especially some of those monounsaturated fats. So think 
avocados, nuts and seeds. Oils have been getting a bad rap. We want to think about oil like avocado oils, um, some of the seed oils and things like that. Not the um, fully hydrogenated oils that um, are getting gaining in popularity lately. But remember that when you're looking at nutrition knowledge and someone starts to demonize something completely, so whether it's carbohydrates or fats or eating chips, there are so many things that people will get a shtick on, I think, and sensationalize and tell you to never eat. A fruit is another one that's a victim of this sensationalism in, I think, social media. Oh yeah. Just remember that this balanced approach is the best approach. Eat fats when they add to your diet in natural sources when you can get them. Eat, eat carbohydrates, again, in their most natural form is best in the form of lots and lots of fruits and vegetables. Whole grains when you can are a little bit better, but when after post-workout, if you want a pasta, have some pasta. For sure. Have some fruit in your with your yogurt in the mornings. Whenever someone demonizes a, a part of nutrition, just remember that it's always a balanced approach. It's not that you can never have a cookie. It's just that how does a cookie look in my overall plan? Can I have it? Sure, I can have it. Can I have a glass of wine in the evenings? Yeah, maybe once a week I can have a glass of wine and that's not going to greatly impact my overall fitness journey. But if I do it consistently, if I have a glass of wine every night, that's going to be a little more impactful for my overall journey. So just remember, balanced approach. For sure, for sure. And I'm so glad that you remembered uh, fats. <laughs> and it's important to have at least 60 grams of fat each day for hormonal health. And men can get away with less than that because you don't, the men don't have the same fluxing nature of um, hormones in their hormone cycle. Get at least 60 grams and make sure that some of that is coming from omega-3 fatty acids. You need to have fish oils because those are that's something that your body can't make and your brain runs on it. Not just runs on it, but it builds itself out of it. So you yeah. need to make sure that you have that in your plan. If you're not eating salmon at least twice a week, make sure that you're taking a good cold pressed fish oil supplement. I like Nordic Naturals. They, they make a really good one. That. And really rather than not order it from Amazon because you know it's not climate controlled in the shipping and it does impact the uh, fish oil itself. So mm-hmm. Big deal, big thing. Good good recommendation for sure. And those omega-3s also may help some with some of the cognitive issues Mm -hmm. that you see, some of that brain fog, just because it does such a great job with neurotransmission and things like that. So that can absolutely help. Yeah, all my clients that experience brain fog or they had long COVID, any of those things, I recommend a pretty intense regimen of omega-3 fatty acids and creatine because oh, yeah. those who supplement, yeah, they're really going to go to work and healing the, uh, the brain, the trauma that the brain has experienced, which they started showing um, that long COVID and perimenopausal brain fog, the inflammatory profile in the brain matches that of a TBI or a traumatic brain injury, which is pretty mind-blowing, but that explains why it takes a little while to get past that crazy virus. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's rough. I had no idea. And the thing too, part of brain fog is cause is rooted in sleep deprivation. So when we get to mm-hmm. the sleep rock, we need to keep this in mind as well, because we are damaging our brains by not make, getting enough sleep. It's not just our, oh, yeah. it, 
it is a mental health issue, obviously, but it's a physical health issue as well because of the way it impacts your brain. So absolutely. we should probably move on to exercise. The next big block. Yes. I feel like nutrition is the most complex. It so is. I feel like that's probably the, the big portion, but the rest of these are important too. For so sure. yeah. What do you think about exercise? Corey, tell me what your experience has been, especially through some of your perimenopause symptoms. Oh, my experience has been interesting to say the least, but because of all of what we discussed last week with the trajectory or the the path that my symptom, symptoms have taken, my exercise has had to change because we talked before about how I am just a sucker for training. And my sister used to say I was a, I had an addictive personality. So it made sense mm-hmm. to her that I got into, into bodybuilding because that was, there's such a chemical release with the exercise. And, and that is true. But at the same yeah. time, there be, the body can only take so much. We talked about that, how my body started breaking down at a certain point. And uh, I'm honestly just now coming out of that, that broken downness. And it's been, a, what, three years that I've been on this path. But strength training has to always be paramount. And just like you said earlier, it's about protecting the muscle that you have. And without the estrogen input that we had in prior and prior stages of our lives, estrogen is the female anabolic hormone. Testosterone is to an extent, but we don't produce as much as men do. So we need to look at estrogen as our muscle building hormone. When estrogen fluxes, there is not a steady enough internal signal to protect that muscle mass. And muscle is expensive. So your body is going to decide that it will burn it first, unless it's getting an external signal that it needs to hold on to the muscle. So in midlife, and this generation of women came up in, yes, you need to exercise. Yes, you need to strength train, but you probably want to stick with no more than 20 pounds and you want to stay in like the 15 to the 25 rep range. And honey, my purse weighs more than a <laughs> pound dumbbell. <laughs> so you are used to, you're used to picking that stuff up and putting it down. You just don't realize it because it's a different shape. So yeah. you, you need to, we need to be lifting in a shorter rep range. And it's not that we're lifting a lightweight in a shorter rep range. We need to be lifting so much that we can't lift more than five reps. Now, do we start there? No, we don't start with a 200-pound deadlift. We start with a weights that are manageable in an 8 to 12 rep range and give you the, the time to learn the patterns, learn the movements, learn proper form, and the best way to brace your core is to protect your back and those kinds of things. So when I say heavy lifting and strength training, that is this is within your capability is always subjective. Heavy lifting for one person is completely different than it is for another person. Whenever we talk about heavy lifting, we're not only talking about lifting more than you have before, we're talking about doing that in a progressive way so that you can continue lifting more. And this takes on an even higher priority place in your exercise regimen as you get older, just as we mentioned earlier, because of the the lack of that estrogen signal. That's the 
foundation of your exercise plan. Now, how many times a week do you want to do that? Not five. (laughs) If you're not doing anything and you have time to put in one day, then that's a lot better. That's a hundred percent more than what you've been doing. (laughs) So um, one day full body workout is going to take you a long way. Ideally, you're going to be doing two full body workouts a week that don't last more than an hour. So it's, it's less commitment than you think. That's one right. another thing that women in this age group have a hard time embodying because we're already so busy chasing our careers, running kids around, making sure that husbands and parents are taken care of too. It's it, the sandwich generation. I used to hear that term when I was in, and uh, when I was younger, when I was part of the bread, <laughs> because our parents were sandwiched on both sides with, with responsibilities from their parents and from their kids. And I'm in that sandwich now and it is a press. It is a crush. Cutting my workouts down from five days a week and even sometimes twice a day, just because I was in the gym all the time to twice a week was quite a difference. It's, but it's better on my joints. Mm -hmm. I have more time to do the other things that I need to do. And sister might've been right. I do have a kind of obsessive personality and that has forced me to back away from that, which has been good for my mental health as well. Now, foundationally, I think two full body workouts a week, strength training is important and those need to be spaced at least three days apart. The studies are showing that adults, men, women alike, 40 and older need 72 hours of recovery for optimal Uh, performance and building. If you're doing full body workouts, you want to make sure that's like on Monday and Thursday or Tuesday and Friday, whatever fits into your schedule the best. The two more components are really beneficial for the midlife woman. One of those is plyometric training. It's very beneficial for bone health, not just for bone density, but tensile strength as well. So you can handle the jarring better. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean jumping onto a high box. Although if you are at that point and that is exciting and exhilarating to you and you want to continue doing that, then great more power to you. Literally, mm-hmm. that's a lot of power to be able to go from the box <laughs> with that. Another weird thing about perimenopause is the strange fear response. And there's this anxious piece that of things that didn't scare you before. If you haven't jumped in a while, just lifting yourself up off of the ground might feel a little bit intimidating. So I'm not talking about jumping Mm -hmm. up on a box. I'm not even talking about getting your CrossFit jump rope out. None of those things. Mm -hmm. Just a small jump, just coming up with power onto your toes, not even fully leaving the ground is going to give you a little bit of that. Um, You can do kettlebell swings for your upper body. Um, So it's not just the impact of your feet on the ground that plyometrics is going to help or um, that is required for the bone density of the plyometric benefit. It's also for the upper body. So you want to do kettlebell swings or um, throwing punches to help strengthen the upper body. I would say plyometric push-ups, but (laughs) those are outside of the realm of possibility for a lot of people. And I think that just saying, this is something you got to put in your weekly routine is just going to be 
discouraging and you're going to throw it all out. Yeah. I know I do. So med ball throws, those, those <laughs> are so prolific. That, that, that could work in your realm. Throw some med ball around. Exactly. Exactly. And the faster you move with that kind of force, the better. That's going to be a plyometric movement. Even if it's, even if the ball isn't leaving your hands, even if you are not leaving the ground, the more force you put into your movement, the better it'll be. And then the third component I would say is sit intervals or sit training and not hit, sit, short interval training. So go as hard as you can for 20 seconds and then rest completely and then do that five times. I, then it's not an arbitrary amount of time that you're resting in between these. It's until your heart rate comes down to about 130, 120. If you, and then you can really push again really hard. And I used to do nothing but sprint intervals. That was all my car, cardio. And I would always make sure that I could, I, I wasn't watching a watch. I w- it was early in the morning before the neighborhood woke up. So I'm counting to 60. <laughs> I'm running as fast as I can while I count to 60. And then I walk for a count of 60. And then I do it again. Even And so by the time yeah. I get to that eight or ninth interval, my fast as I can isn't as fast. <laughs> exactly. And, it, and um, I have much less recovered by the end of that 60 seconds of walking. Actually push yourself to a point, if you're using a heart rate monitor, push your heart rate to a point where you are breathless and then stop. Maybe walk slowly, but recover. Bring your heart rate down to about 130, 125. And then as long as that takes, whatever it takes to get there, then you can do it again and with as much power and do that at least five times. An easier way for some people to do that is in the um, traditional Tabata where you go hard for 10 seconds, rest for 20 to 30 seconds, and then do that eight times. Um, Mm -hmm. That still feels a little arbitrary to me. I don't feel like you're getting full recovery in that time, but it is just four minutes. So there's that. <laughs> but just put the hurt on yeah, in those last few no, rounds for sure. No kidding. It is manageable. And if you're time crunched, then that's the way to go. But even a a an effective sit workout is not going to take more than 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes tops. So these aren't going to be huge drains on a person's schedule. But they are mm-hmm. definitely important pieces. This The sit intervals is really going to go a long way towards fighting insulin resistance and burning fat. And while keep you're, you're in kind of an anaerobic state, so it's protecting your muscle. Yeah, I think that those are all great recommendations. I love, I love all that you said. I think a couple of practical things that I can pull out from those is when you go into the gym, so you want to think if you're new to coming to the gym, I would always recommend that you work with somebody, especially if it's later in life that you're doing these things, because we're going to have some tendon connectivity issues. We need to get your body ready for exercise before you really begin any kind of intense exercise regimen. Before you start lifting weights, there's actually, it's pretty complex as to how the muscles move and how the joint moves. I have a PhD in it. (laughs) We want to think this is actually a science and I think people simplify it a lot. And so everybody can do this or that, but just remember that It is actually complex. So working with someone, even if it's just for a month or two, to make sure that you're moving properly before you do, especially some of these explosive things, before you pick up really heavy weights, maybe even before you get off the ground jumping and things like that. Let's make sure that you move well, 
that your joints move well, and that we're also correcting any kind of imbalances that you may have right off the bat. Amen. Say that louder for yeah. the folks in the back. That was really good. <laughs> and the the people that I see that have the biggest trouble with this are former athletes, mm-hmm. type A personalities, Orange Theory. Oops, I said it. The people that <laughs> they yeah. really like the workouts like that, they're going to have the yeah. hardest time slowing down. And that's when... It, you really have to stop and reflect and recognize if I go alone, if I continue on this path, doing it like I'm used to doing, what's going to happen at the end of that? Too many times someone that's used to, they know what their body can do in college athletics. So they, they jump right in there. And then there is this muscle, muscle memory thing. Your brain knows that you, what to do, but we haven't laid a good foundation over the last several years the tendons and the ligaments are going to have problems with that. There's so much that occurs when you start an exercise plan. You're not just building muscle. You're, you're building connective tissue. You're building infrastructure. You're building blood flow. So you're yeah. creating new, new blood cells that you didn't have before. So that going into it thinking, oh, this is just exercise. How hard could it be? That's right. probably the number one biggest mistake that I see. (laughs) Yeah. And estrogen changes all those things too. So we see estrogen change all the way down to the neuromuscular level, the firings of different muscles. And so you're actually at a greater, you're at a greater risk for injury as you start to decline in, in estrogen too. So it's just important. I think make sure you move well. Then when we start to get into thinking about like, how heavy do I, how heavy a weight do I pick up? Like, how do I do this? One of the good guidelines that I use is grab a weight that you can lift 15 times. And when I lift it on 15, then I'm going to fail. That's failure. I know that 15 is going to look like, okay, barely got it up. So that's about failure. And then only lift it though, 10 to 12 times. So conversely, if you're going for eight to 10 rep window, find a weight that you can only lift 12 times. Your 12th rep would be a failure rep. And then you can give yourself a gauge as to, how much weight you need to pick up each time. You should be working at different times, closer and further away from failure, depending on kind of exercise selection and all those things. But I would always say, remember, pick up a heavier weight. At the very beginning, you don't want to go to failure in anything. Um, You may be able to get closer and closer in proximity to failure as you move through after 12 to 15 weeks of initial training. You can start to pick up heavier weights and you can start to work closer in proximity to failure. So keeping those things in mind and then balancing out between pushing movements and pulling movements. So making sure in both upper and lower body that you're doing pushing movements, which would mean upper body would mean like bench presses, a pressing movement, overhead press. So both in the vertical and horizontal planes, and then that you're pulling in those same planes as well. So remember every time we bench press, we should also row, pull the scapulas back. And every time we overhead press, we should two times at least pull downward, like a pull-up or a assisted pull-up or a lat pull-down, something like that. Upper body for sure, pull twice to every time you push and lower body as well, a hinging movement to the hips and then a squatting movement to the hips. And those can either be single leg, double leg, machines, free weights, any of those things. And I would always say graduate slowly into moving in a free environment and moving your body freely with free weights so that you activate more muscle mass as you do that. And you teach your body how to balance and move in a free environment. 
So those are my guidelines off of all the awesome stuff that, that you said too. That's beautiful. Great. Beautiful. Third big rock, which is, Oh man, it's a good one. This is going to get a lot of people, myself included sleep. ladies. <laughs> you have to sleep. And even if you think you can get away with six hours a night, stop and recognize what's going on in your interactions. <laughs> How many people are you cussing out when you sleep six hours a night? <laughs> That's a big one. And, just, and yourself included. Your mental self-talk is going to take a dive if you're not sleeping enough. And this is even before you think about adding an exercise regimen in. If you want to change your body, you need even more than sleep than seven hours. Seven hours might be enough to get you through your day-to-day -day without trying to change your body. If that's the case, you're going to need eight or nine. And that means I've heard someone say that if your goal is nine hours of sleep, you need to be horizontal for 10 hours because it takes a little while to go to sleep. You're waking up time several times throughout the night without even realizing you are. So you need mm -hmm. to have the time to um, accumulate that much sleep. We can talk later about how different rituals and different methods, different behavior pieces are going to help encourage your sleep. But I, we just wanted to touch on today how important it is to make sure you are getting that kind of sleep. And we definitely will be giving sleep tips later on. But that is, in my theory, lack of sleep, lack of good quality sleep is probably the largest contributing factor to a lot of the symptoms that we're experiencing. Obviously, your hormones are going to change. They're going to ebb and flow. They're going to go down. Um, that's the, that. That's the winding down of our fertility is what this menopausal transition is all about. Um, how we're able to go through that, though, has a lot to do with our behaviors. And so if we're in a routine of not getting enough sleep, then you don't have enough time in recovery mode for your brain to fully recover. A lot of things that happen in perimenopause. The hot flash, for example, is controlled in the hypothalamus, which is basically your body's thermostat, but it's in your brain. And if you're not giving your brain enough time to recover through good sleep, and we know now that that sleep is actually washing your brain with good chemicals, and then and also your body is being recovered and repaired through through your sleep. If you're not giving yourself enough time to, to recover in that shutdown mode, and it's, this is something that has been a chronic issue. Myself, for example, I struggled with insomnia after my last son was born. I struggled with insomnia through college. I went to college in my 30s. <laughs> and all-nighters take on a whole different thing in your 30s. Yeah. And so if you are struggling with this already chronically, and then you add in the hormonal flux of perimenopause, it's really hard to get a hold of. And you've already set yourself up for brain fog, hot flashes, mm -hmm. all of the things that your brain needs support in controlling sleep, big rock. Absolutely. What could you add you to You get that? that whole cascade of really good recovery hormones. So things like growth hormone happen at mm -hmm. night, which helps us repair and restore anything that we've damaged throughout the day. But the research is showing us that we thought that it was seven to eight hours. Research is showing us that Really different people need different levels of sleep. So some people require seven to eight and can function really well that way. Some people require closer to the eight, nine, 10 sleep range. So I think it's important to, to understand sleep quality, understand when you fall asleep and you wake up and you had a restful night. So knowing what that feels like 
versus knowing what it feels like to go, I did not rest well. And I need to figure out why I didn't rest well. Is it because my diet was poor? Is it because I exercised too intensely? Is it because I'm worrying and I'm having some external stressors? So understanding why you're not sleeping well is a big part. And I think Corey said, we're going to really spend some time, maybe even the next episode talking about big tips through some of these big rocks, how we set up our days, how we recommend clients set up their days, not only for nutrition and exercise, but let's keep sleep a priority. How do we do it? If you haven't ever tracked your sleep, maybe it's time to start looking and seeing how many hours you're getting of sleep each night. And then how you're actually feeling that mindfulness piece again Mm -hmm. in the mornings when you wake, are you waking easily? Are you really having to snooze out? So important. Yeah. And just like Mandy teased next week, we'll talk about how, what this looks like in, in the day-to-day life. But our final rock, and the reason that we saved it to the end is because it probably is the most important, the biggest rock, because it impacts all of these other rocks. That's stress management. I'm rolling my eyes internally because I know what you're thinking (laughs) because I've thought it. We're just talking about using the dashboard as your dining room table. That's part of this. We rush, rush, hurry, trying to get all these other rocks into our day. And we don't realize that the impact of not managing that stress could actually negate efforts in these other areas. First off, what is the stress response and why is this such a big deal? And I think that goes back to the brain health that we talked about a little bit. You, the, in the stress response, when you are scared or something, say a tiger jumps out at you in the middle of the street in traffic or something you know, crazy like that. Because we, we talk about tigers in, in the stress response. And the only time I've ever seen tigers, it's I'm far away from it and there are bars between us. So I'm not as afraid of tigers. Okay, let's just say, for example, I am crossing the street and there's a bus coming at me. And um, the amygdala, part of my brain, will see that bus. And it, well, my eyes see it. It'll tell the amygdala to tell the hypothalamus that there's trouble. There's trouble. And then the hypothalamus signals the sympathetic nervous system to tell the rest of the body, it's time to run. It's time to flee. Don't freeze in the middle of the crosswalk here because that will shut down the whole system. (laughs) The sympathetic nervous system through the hypothalamus turns on the pituitary gland to signal the adrenal glands to secrete stress hormones to turn on activity to get you out of the street. That's great in traffic. That's not great behind your desk. (laughs) So if you're dealing with daily undercurrent of chronic low stress, then there you still have your foot on the gas pedal the whole time. It's like your engine's revving too high. And even though you don't have to run out of the intersection to avoid sudden death, you still have your foot on that gas pedal and all of the chemicals are still going on in the body. Now, the thing that happens in in that environment is all of these other things are impacted. Solid nutrition, it won't matter how solid and how good your nutrition is if you are under chronic stress because the stress is going to impact your gut microbiome and um, your digestive processes. The um, stress response slows down blood flow. It slows down motility. It slows down how quickly and how efficiently food moves through your system. It slows down nutrient absorption by impacting all of the microbiome. It can also cause a microbiome shift to less beneficial 
more pathogenic species or bugs. We always just call them bugs. So I'm just going to call them bugs. Yes. That's easier than yeah. species. It's way easier. It's way cooler. <laughs> it sounds like cooler. More dangerous or not dangerous, less beneficial gut bugs. How we, That's how we'll say it. I like it. Okay. Less beneficial gut bugs. And then, so it's like this circle there in the with the microbiome. Stress impacts the microbiome and micro, the microbiome impacts the physiological response to stress. It's If you can't get that under control, if you can't interrupt it, then you're going to have this long-term vicious cycle going in your gut. And that's what leads to things like leaky gut or the the fancy word gut permeability, which is the same thing. (laughs) And that can cause an out of scale immune response and your body will turn on itself and that becomes an autoimmune disease. Um, Now, let me back up real quick. I feel like I jumped ahead into the gut because that's my training, but um, I want to talk a little bit about what some of these underlying low chronic stressors can be because the stress response itself is not the enemy. It's the thing that's causing the stress response. So things that I think of that cause stress regularly is chronic pain, chronic energy unbalance. Basically, are you eating too little or are you eating too much? Chronic insomnia, not sleeping enough, or even just behaviors that keep you up late at night. Are you too busy playing video games or watching the late night show to get the sleep that you need? Chronic overtraining, working out too many times a week, like I I was doing, or chronic sedentary lifestyle, not moving enough. All of these things are adding to your stress load. It's not just the boss that you don't like or the toxic work environment, although those things are important too, or negative relationships. Another one that I think so many people struggle with, especially in midlife women and younger women, is the chronic negative self-talk. If you cannot silence your inner critic, your inner mean girl, you'll be fighting an uphill battle against um, getting stress under control because you don't have your own back. And if you are not supporting yourself and you're not getting support outside of yourself, then that is going to cause a stress response. Absolutely. I just, I feel the need to spread the word on that because it's something that I see women fighting with all the time. And I have decided in my life, earlier in my life, I decided I just don't have time to deal with this. So just shut up. And I would suppress it instead of actually just just be quiet. Go stand in the corner. (laughs) Go stand in the corner, Millie. (laughs) I I just, I realized at a certain point that until I heal the part of me that my Millie, (laughs) until I heal my inner mean girl, I'm going to continually be fighting this stress. And it took getting into a place into a health challenge to recognize the importance of that. And I don't want that for you. I want everyone to be able to learn that you can have your own back. You can keep promises to yourself. You don't have to be a critic. You can actually be your inner cheer- cheerleader. So. That's right. I love it. You kind of have a, a, a loving what is, right? I have to love what is. I have to love where I am and who I am. And I think that we talked briefly about holding your thoughts captive. Yes. Before we started, we were having a little discussion on holding your thoughts yes. captive, but... And also reframing those thoughts. I think that it's important when those thoughts come up of, 
I'm not good enough or I'm not strong enough or I don't have the willpower to do this. I think it's important to stop and hear yourself say that and saying, hmm, I've done some training in Byron Katie is a really neat, she's a new age philosopher almost. And she talks about loving what is and talks about reframing a thought and holding it captive and saying, is that truth? I'm no good at this. I'm awful. I don't like how I look or any of those things. And just stopping and saying, is that true? Am I really bad at this? I may, I don't know. And then the second question is, is it absolutely true that I'm not good at this? Can I say absolutely that it's true? No, I can't say because I got myself up today and I got myself dressed and I'm taking, I'm keeping my kids alive. Oh my gosh. I guess I'm, I'm not terrible at this motherhood thing. And I love that double hit coming too. up with reasons why you're good, right? Coming up with reasons why you are good. I am good because my kids are good. I know my kids are good and they're good people and they love others. So I'm I'm good. So I think sometimes it just takes a moment of mindfulness. And as mothers and women, I think that we don't do that enough for ourselves. We can stop and tell our child, why are you throwing a fit? Why are you acting ugly? How do you feel? But I don't think we do that to ourselves enough. I don't think we stop and say, why are you mean to yourself? How do you really feel? And no one is asking us that. So, so true. I think it's important to stop and do so that. So true. Yeah. I learned years ago that I have control over what thoughts I accept as true. I'm going to receive mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. It's like standing in a field and an archery field and all of these arrows are darting around me. I can't, if I'm standing in that field and I'm tied to it and I can't get out of it, then I can't get away from the arrows, but I can decide which ones land in my head. (laughs) So I have authority. I have a choice whether or not those darts stick into my beautiful brain. I can protect my brain. So I feel like it was really important to have that specific conversation, especially in the frame of stress management, because it is our tendency to just, what did that just say? I don't have time to pay attention to it and just move on. But your brain is still going to internalize that and still going to play that tape. It's going to play it and repeat, even in the background, even if you don't hear it. And the next thing, days, weeks, months, years down the line, it's something that you are thinking is true because your Mm -hmm. brain heard it on repeat and you didn't take the time to say, no, that's not true. And then that's going to cause a cascade stress response that will impact every other area that you're trying to have a positive influence on in your life. The um, the stress Mm -hmm. response also hinders muscle building. It it hinders the muscle protein synthesis that is required to build muscle. So under chronic stress, it's harder to build and maintain muscle. And it also makes it harder to burn fat while making it easier to store fat. Because just because the part of the stress response to get yourself out of traffic is to release is to release stored energy or stored carbohydrate into the bloodstream, so you can have energy to and fuel to to move to get out of the way of the bus. <laughs> so, um, yeah. if you are in this chronic state of stress and your body is continuously releasing um, sugars into your blood, then you're setting yourself up for an inflammatory situation that is really close to metabolic syndrome, the first step to type 2 diabetes. Taking the, op- the time to take care of the stress, especially the things that you control, It's going to help you to better control your response to the things you can't control. 
and it's going to help this this cascade that that is going to impact your health without it. I think one thing that I heard from a, a client actually shared with me, she was a, um, a psychologist counselor and has really transformed the way that I manage stress is she recommended at one point just meditation mm-hmm. and not spiritual meditation, right. but um, clinical type of meditation. And she, I think that she recommended the app, but it's now one that I recommend to everyone. It's called Headspace mm-hmm. and it actually teaches you how to meditate we have spiritual meditation and prayer and things like that. And I definitely do that as well for, for mental health. But teaching yourself how to quiet the mind and teaching the mind how to turn off at some points or how to accept a thought but not believe yes. it and push it back away. I accept you. I see you. I hear you. But I am sending you away now. And making peace with some of these things I think is a really helpful thing. It, it helps me through some really hard hard times. And I've noticed that my mental health, even my capacity to focus has increased and will increase when I engage in it more often. So even 10 minutes every few days can help a lot. And finding 10 minutes for yourself that's quiet is sometimes hard, but it's really beneficial. And just like you said, Corey, it affects so many things in your life. That stress response does signal the body really quickly that, hey, we have to store fat because we might need it. Mm -hmm. And it is going to, it's going to really hinder the rest of your goal. So that's why we really put it at the end here and wanted to really stress that stress, we wanted to stress that stress. (laughs) It can be very good and bad, right? There is a baseline of stress that's actually good. Stress helps us get things done. Sometimes stress, actually a little bit of stress helps us recover. A little bit of inflammation tells the body to adapt and move to a higher level. But a lot of stress does the opposite. So you have to remember that little stress, good, a lot of stress, bad. And when it starts to get overwhelming and we feel like we're not recovering, we feel like we just, again, can't get out of bed in the mornings. We feel like our mental health is is in a very poor spot or our work stress is so much that we can't sleep at night because um, our, our work stress is overwhelming us. This is the time to stop and reassess all of these things. Let's reassess exercise. Am I getting too much? Am I getting too little? Am I moving enough throughout the day? Let's reassess our nutrition plan. Am I eating enough? Do I have enough antioxidants and things that promote recovery and inflammation response or anti-inflammatory response in there to help me recover? What am I doing to support myself? And what am I doing to, to overexert myself? I think is a really nice question when we think about stress management yeah, too. And yeah. hopefully again, we'll get some drill down into some really good right, tips for you right, later on. Exactly. One final thing I wanted to say about it is I've talked to people that feel like the gym is their is their counseling session. It's their church. So basically they're using um, exercise and intense exercise at times to balance their stress. And to a degree, yes, that is very helpful. Getting out and moving is definitely going to be a good way to manage your stress, bring your heart rate down, put yourself in a better mental place. But if your stress is, if the stress load is out of control, if you had, if you haven't been able to manage it and you have, you're starting to experience these detrimental physical effects of your stress, then going to the gym and adding more stress of an intense workout is going to backfire. You won't be able to recover well from it. You set yourself up for injury. Even if it's something that you have done all the time, then you can 
cause an injury that'll put you on the bench. So it really doesn't help you or anybody to overexert in that situation. So if you feel like things aren't great in your relationships, you're super high strung because of work or you have rebellious Billy, whatever the case is, (laughs) maybe the gym is not the place to go. Just think about it. Man, that's great. That's such a great point. I feel like that is something that a lot of people do. So I'm so glad you brought that up. That's huge. Maybe a, a nice walk and get some sun or a restorative yoga session. One of those things is going to be a better place to um, get yourself in a in better headspace so that you can control things because your headspace controls your body. Yes. Amen to that. Thanks so much for talking about it with me. I sure needed the time we spent together and I hope it left you feeling good too. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and share it with your friends to bring other girlfriends into the circle. And hey, let's do it again next week. Episodes drop every Monday, and you might even find a quick chat Friday every now and then.